Welcome to this week's episode of CXCast. Sam Stern joined as always by Jenny Wise. Hi, Jenny. Hi, everyone. And we are delighted to have in person, because normally she would be on the phone, our colleague from our San Francisco office who happens to be in Cambridge today, Gina Ballwalker. Hi, Gina. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for joining us to talk about inclusive design. And so, listeners, the question we want to answer for you on today's episode, no pressure, Gina, is why should you, why should your company build in inclusive design into its approach to how it's designing products, services, and experiences? You've written Mm -hmm. about this a little bit in the past, and we've had Mm -hmm. you talk about it, but what is inclusive design? So inclusive design is about designing experiences that are effective, easy, and emotionally positive for all customers in a target market by drawing on the full range of human diversity. So there's two important elements to that. One is designing for all customers. By that, we mean considering that customers have different abilities, physical Mm -hmm. and mental. Customers come from different backgrounds, you know, different nationalities. Many customers may not speak English as a first language. Have you thought about these components? And also just, you know, kind of traditional definitions of diversity, different ethnic backgrounds, different genders, et cetera. So it's about considering all of those customers when you're designing with a key element being that you need to involve those customers in the design process. All right. So I'm putting on my sober businessman hat here. Why should I care about all these other people when I've got this great core audience that knows how to use my products and services and doesn't have any kind of limitations? There are many people, of course, who argue, well, inclusive design is important because it's just ethically the right thing to do. But we're running businesses, right? So the great news is inclusive design actually makes a lot of sense um, for businesses who want to do things like access new markets, right? Mm -hmm. So for example, um, tap into the growing aging population that's experiencing changes in abilities as a result of the aging process or people with visual impairments. Um, There's a nice example we highlight in the report around how Comcast had a goal of just accessing the visually impaired market. They wanted to make sure that people with visual impairments could effectively control their televisions. Mm. And by taking an inclusive design approach, they ended up launching the first talking TV interface. Um, So accessing new markets is a key goal that this can help satisfy. Also avoiding legal troubles. So we're (laughs) starting to see more. Yeah, we're starting to see more and more um, accessibility lawsuits here in the U.S. This is something companies should be concerned about. And by taking an inclusive design approach and ensuring you're not putting up barriers to people with disabilities, you're protecting yourself from legal risk. And then also just improving the experience for all of your customers. There are many examples out there of products that were designed for certain markets like people with visual impairments that ended up really helping everyone. And that's Mm -hmm. the idea of the curb cut effect that I think we've talked about on the podcast in the past. Yeah, that's right. Listeners, we have a previous episode with Gina where she went deep on this. I love the Comcast example. My mother-in-law started using that because it was easier for her than navigating the menu. Then my five-year-old started yeah. using that. And then mm-hmm. seeing their example, my wife and I started using it because it was just faster and easier to get to content in Comcast. And so it's like Absolutely. it's one of those things where it classically moves from people who might have challenge, who, who really need yeah. it, to people who have are challenged to use the existing interface, to people who just find the convenience factor yeah, right. appealing. Right? Yeah, that's interesting. It- presents a new constraint in some cases for you to design around and in doing so creates a simpler process. And that Comcast example is a good one too because the way that they did that, they actually appointed a visually impaired individual as VP of accessibility and he led that project and they engaged people in that market in the design process to make sure it was going to be a great solution for them. So again, hitting on that idea that you can only design inclusive experiences if you include marginalized segments in the process. I I love that too because I feel like we're talking about Comcast in a positive 
positive light, but often they come up in a negative light around customer experience. And so the idea of bringing in someone with that kind of lived experience in the solution likely led a company like Comcast that's challenged, frankly, Mm -hmm. with a lot of its products and services working for its customers to get to a better outcome. So I'm curious then when we talk about how to be inclusive in the process. At first, I was imagining co-creation with a wide variety of customers who are all different, different perspectives, different capabilities. But then you can also imagine, too, if you're thinking of new products and services internally in the organization, this also Mm -hmm. has implications Mm. for who's even ideating those and working on those. So can you speak a little bit to what this can look like, the different ways to create inclusion in the process? there's two things that have to happen. Most people just aren't even aware that they're excluding segments. The first step is just to begin exposing employees to people who have been excluded. Having them share their stories creates sort of that eye-opening moment of, oh my gosh, I didn't realize that these design choices, that these coding choices, that these product choices I was making were shutting out groups of customers. So companies can take lessons from companies like Adobe, for example, where they have an annual design conference and they invite creatives with disabilities to get up on stage. They self-select and agree to do this and they interview them about their experiences. And it's not even just their challenges using Adobe products. It's just their challenges getting to the building that day. And it Mm. creates empathy within employees so that they walk out of that room and now they're always thinking about these customers when they make choices. So that's the first piece. And then it really comes down to people, processes, and tools. We're not talking about throwing your human-centered design process out the window and adopting a completely new methodology for inclusive design. It's a matter of bringing new people into the design process. It's about adopting new methods like challenging yourself to spot and stop exclusion when you're doing design critiques, for example. And it's about adopting new tools. And we can go into some of those tools, but, you know, everything from tools to spot, you know, color contrast issues. Mm. If I'm a designer, you know, creating mock-ups. So those issues never make it into development or tools to help me understand the needs of different segments of customers. We talk in the report about something called inclusive design archetypes, which is a really nice tool that you can use on top of your personas to challenge yourself to say, what about if this persona has a visual impairment? What if this persona doesn't speak English? Is there first language? What if this persona lives in an area of the country where they don't have a strong internet connection? Mm -hmm. Will this experience work for them? And if it doesn't, let's talk about those issues and resolve them right now. What I love about what you just said is, you know, first of all, we're going to assume positive intent on the Mm -hmm. employee's part, right? That you're not doing this maliciously, you just are unaware. So, you know, we'll help you with the awareness. And on the third piece you mentioned there, we're also going to assume that you probably don't have at your fingertips today the capabilities, the tools you need to get that empathy. It's hard. You can't put yourself in those people's shoes without some way of doing that. And I really like that idea of integrating that into the existing design process. So you have the tools, you know where in the design process to integrate them. And hopefully the mindset change has made you look for those opportunities to stop and bring in those different archetypes or use those different tools. That's great. Exactly. And I think as a customer experience leader, if you go and you begin to talk to your design organization about inclusive design, I think you'll find they're already thinking about this. They want to do the right thing. And now your organization's process processes and the people that you bring into the process. So making sure you have a diverse team, making sure that when you do research, you know, you recruit enough participants that you can get that diversity of perspectives. Those are the things that have to kind of catch up. So I was just at CES <laughs> thinking, right. yeah. looking at all these you know, future solutions and robots and voice-activated devices. And some of the really interesting things that I took away from that event seem related to this. There were a lot of products 
for seniors and elderly and people with either hearing problems or seeing problems, and a lot of them were voice activated. Right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's really interesting because that was a huge theme there was appealing to this market. And so I can imagine that will get more people thinking about inclusive design, mm -hmm. especially with the opportunities of other populations. And I was also thinking of empathy and inclusion. And this is mm -hmm. actually pulling from a report Sam and I are working on now, which is how you can use things like VR to create employee empathy for each other, mm -hmm. as well as customers. And so I'm just curious to hear, I guess, I have a lot of, on any of thoughts these. on that topic. Yeah. And actually, this was one of the most interesting things as I was doing the research. Mm -hmm. I used to implement the empathy labs, you know, the, the simulation techniques to get people to understand yes. the needs yeah. of people with disabilities. And as I was doing this research, interviewing some of the thought leaders in this space, I was honing in on a really interesting point, which is there's certainly a time and a place for that. But part of inclusive design is, again, making sure that you're actually including customers who are in these often excluded or marginalized segments right. in the process. And so a lot of what I heard was there is no substitute for mm -hmm. having people come in and tell their stories and exposing employees firsthand to what exclusion looks like. That being said, the simulations can be really helpful. So as you begin to hone in on a solution and now, you know, let's say you're in the design process and you're sitting there in a design critique and you're saying, okay, okay, have we designed a solution that's going to work for all of our customers? Really useful exercises can be like what Aetna does, for example, where they do something they call out loud prototyping. And the idea is to simulate what would be the experience of consuming this design if I'm a user who is blind using a screen reader. The designer has to verbally read <laughs> how that design will sound. So it's a simulation that can be very effective in spotting and stopping exclusion before it right. makes it into development. But again, there's no substitute mm -hmm. for actually exposing people to the actual right. stories too. Right. Yeah. So the simulations can help to build empathy, build understanding. Yes. Yes. Also test things early on to see if you're doing anything that's really going to miss the mark. Exactly. But it does not replace... Yeah. So I think um, one of the companies that I highlight in the report is Microsoft. This is actually an area where Microsoft is really leading. They've published several toolkits related to inclusive design. Anyone interested in this topic, I very much recommend a book called Mismatch by the woman who started inclusive design at Microsoft. Her name's Kat Holmes. And I interviewed her extensively. And what I think they do really well is they really do focus on that principle of we can learn from diversity and the way that we do that is by inviting more perspectives into the design process. So a specific example is the Microsoft Xbox Adaptive Controller, which has been written about mm -hmm. quite a bit. They did some really interesting things when they were designing that. Obviously, they included with people with disabilities in the process. That Their whole idea was that by designing a better product for people with disabilities, everyone will have a better experience. And so they identified interesting things like gamers who are uh, deaf or hard of hearing. They were struggling to voice a emotions when gaming. It's more challenging when you have a hearing impairment. Right. And so that led to specific things that they built into the gaming console, like the ability to select and convey emotions right within the product itself. Oh, yeah. And so they designed mm -hmm. this whole experience around that. And then they found that other gamers were also adopting and appreciating this new feature.
And then there's, of course, products that we use every day. I mean, if, if you cook, which most of us probably do, um, you've probably used, you know, the OXO Good Grips kitchen utensils for peeling vegetables or whatnot. I, cook, I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny, why don't you uh, take a walk? For what a is this? Yeah, is this available yeah. at Whole Foods? And, yeah. and I mean, that's probably one of the most famous examples of inclusive design. But, you know, the founder of that company um, designed that for his wife who had arthritis and was having challenges using the kitchen tools that were out in the market and ended up creating this fantastic fantastic product that's easier to use for everyone and look at how successful it's been. So consider, can you use segments like people with disabilities as sort of a jumping off point for innovating and creating a better product for all customers? Yeah, that's interesting because often the earlier question, Sam, that you posed, right? You know, my core audience is here. Why would I do this? This might cost money, but it might end up making a lot of money too and spurring innovation and helping the core audience as well and expanding beyond that. I love that about inclusive design that so much of it comes back to what you would ethically responsibly want to do, but you're a little worried about, you know, is this going to be business value maximizing? And again and again, it turns out to be a, you get to serve new markets mm-hmm. better, and B, you get ideas that make your products better for everyone, which I just think is a really powerful message yeah. and reminder about doing this and why you should do this. This got me thinking about uh, creating algorithms, right? Mm-hmm. And so often mm-hmm. we talk about how algorithms can be biased, right? And it's training bias based on the training data, either from the training data of who is the audience that you've looked at and trained this algorithm on, mm-hmm. if it's making decisions mm-hmm. or personalizing, but also based on the people who are coding the algorithm. That has an opportunity to put bias in too. So if we're thinking about even Mm -hmm. different demographics and audiences as well, I think inclusion is really important as companies move towards automation and letting algorithms play a larger role. The same principles, the principles that we lay out in this report very much apply. It's learning from diversity. It's making sure you have a diverse set of perspectives at the table when you're having those conversations around what this algorithm should be. Interestingly, I interviewed a large technology company who have a group that meets monthly. It's a group of designers and they take turns going out and researching different topics related to inclusive design. And they said that their first one, they actually looked at bias in AI and they had a very good discussion about it and about how the company could be more responsible in terms mm-hmm. of how they think about that. I feel like that comes up all of the time, anytime we ever talk about AI and its application. So right, right. Um, this is a very important message there too. Great. Gina, thank you for joining us. Listeners, we posted a link to Gina's report in the show notes. And also we posted a link to the book that you mentioned by Kat Holmes from Microsoft. I think that's a nice, even deeper resource around this if you're interested, listeners. And I think you should be. We'll talk to you all on next week's CXCast. Goodbye for now. Thanks to our colleagues, Amanda Chen, for recording and mixing the episode, and Will Wilsey for editing and publishing. And listeners, if you have questions, feedback, comments, or suggestions for new episodes, please email us at cxcast at forrester.com. And remember, your customers' perceptions are your customer experience reality.